earthquake affected Christchurch Hospital is struggling to resume normal services and the disruption is expected to last for months, if not years. The hospital is one of the country's busiest, providing top end services for the whole of the South Island and beyond. In this Radio New Zealand Insight, our health correspondent Karen Brown toured facilities with the Health Minister, Tony Ryle, shortly after the quake and has returned to assess the recovery. The 6.3 magnitude earthquake that struck Christchurch just over a month ago presented the whole public health system with the biggest challenges ever faced. Within hours, severely injured people were arriving at hospital. Doctors, nurses and others went into overdrive. Without time to think about their own homes, they resuscitated patients by torchlight and occasionally were plunged into darkness or lost water supplies during surgery. The acting head of the emergency department, Mike Arda, says they weren't sure they'd cope. We had a big wave of patients in the first sort of two to three hours, which was quickly threatening to overwhelm us. It didn't quite, but it certainly threatened to. Professor Arda says in such situations, health professionals are sometimes forced to put the most complicated cases to one side, treating only those who are easiest to help. So we were getting to a stage where we nearly needed to tip into that mode and It would have been fantastic to know what was going to be coming in the door in the next two hours to help those decisions, but we didn't know. In fact, no one did. The hospital switched to generator power. The emergency department had scans but no x-rays, and at first orderlies couldn't use lifts to transport patients. There were some patients, in fact, who were carried up the stairs on stretchers um, to intensive care, um, simply to make space in the ED for more patients coming in. And so our staff were going up the stairwells, the dark stairwells too, because there were no elevators. Throughout the country, other hospitals were urgently assessing what bed space they had. A teleconference with Christchurch at 5pm yielded a key decision. Patients would be removed to lessen the load. Wellington Hospital Intensive Care Specialist and Clinical Support Director Peter Hicks explains. We collectively decided we needed to get everybody out of Christchurch as fast as possible because we had absolutely no idea what was coming next overnight. I think at that stage they'd had three or four admissions to the intensive care unit. We're still under their full capacity but we had no idea what was coming. Hospitals in Wellington, Waikato and Hastings were selected to take patients first because they had flight retrieval teams, one dedicated doctor and one nurse for each patient to be moved. Dr Hicks says the teams moved six patients, a third of those in the Christchurch Emergency Department. From what Christchurch was saying, it was somewhat surreal having six separate flight teams in six separate bed spaces packing up patients and driving them out to the airport. And so for them, this was quite, I say unusual, but it's not right the word, it's quite overwhelming having this many people down there helping. He can't recall anything like it before. I can think of individual disasters that have affected an individual hospital or two hospitals or a small region, but nothing that has involved the whole country with the transport of multiple types of patients across multiple hospitals at any one point in time. In Christchurch, they battled on, manhandling patients down dark stairways from the top two floors of the main acute care wing, known as the Riverside Block. It was being flooded with water from broken plumbing. The Director of Nursing, Heather Gray, said they had no choice. Some people were carrying top and tailing people down the stairs, sometimes on mattresses dragging them down the stairs. And when the lifts came back and we only had the small passenger lifts, so they would carry, fold people into their mattresses and six medical students would carry somebody out to another bed. 
Heather Gray says they evacuated 100 patients, which hasn't been done before. It's very uncommon to have a, both a mass casualty and a damaged building. Um, usually you have one or the other. Um, on Tuesday we had both. Orthopaedic and other surgeons were soon busy, performing one hip operation an hour in the one and a half days following the quake, 11 amputations and treating a range of traumatic injuries. General Surgeon Greg Robertson wasn't at the hospital when the quake struck, but went straight there, into a busy, efficient but also confused world. Most of the staff that were on site had no idea what was going on, didn't know what their families' situations was like, uh, mobiles were not exactly functioning all the time, uh, people couldn't contact people. Mr Robertson says it's left him as a surgeon well aware of how reliant he is at such times on others like engineers. We can do whatever we like, we can do the best of services, we can provide world level service but if we ain't got water we can't do that. If we haven't got power we can't do that, if we can't get patients to a theatre we can't do that so we're so dependent on all the infrastructural things to provide the services that we have. They're just pumping water in, is that the yeah, noise they, there? Just, um, yeah. They're just getting ready to pump the water into the tank. I'm at the front door of Christchurch Hospital a week after the quake with the Director of Nursing, Heather Gray. Busy at the best of times, the entranceway is a hive of activity as emergency tanks and water are trucked in. Heather Gray tells me engineers have also been busy turning a step caused by the quake at the front door into a ramp. This step wasn't there before the earthquake and now we have a ramp for the wheelchairs. Inside, the Canterbury District Health Board Chief Executive, David Mates, explains it all to the Minister, Mr Ryle. You would have just seen all the tanks being so we've got nine tap water tankers underground and we're just working at filling all of them up at the moment. So that's for the fire purposes? Yes, because yeah. otherwise we've got say, no sprinkler system at the moment. Tanks and water systems have needed to be installed to provide the pressure to run the sprinkler system in case of fire. The hospital's vital steam supply, which serves Christchurch Women's Hospital as well, was also under threat. Steam's essential for heating and sterilisation and enters via a tunnel that's cracked beneath a road that's subsiding. David Mate says they're urgently installing six diesel steam generators as a backup. Before the, um, the quake seven days ago, uh, we were already x-raying some of the joints because there were signs of stress fractures from the 4th September earthquake. So um, the damage that has occurred subsequent to that means that it's very, very fragile and we can't, take, we can't take the risk of not having appropriate support structures in place. Damage in the Riverside block has made the hospital realise it can no longer accommodate acutely unwell patients who can't walk on upper storeys. That means more than 100 beds out of a total of about 600 can no longer be counted on, which has wide-ranging effects for the hospital, especially at a time when other community facilities are also stretched. In the meantime, Mr Ryle asks Mike Arda of the emergency department how it's going, one week on. So it was, is this sort of what you'd get on a normal run-of-the-mill day? No, it's actually slightly quieter, so, which is to be expected really. We've got our primary care people are working very hard out there. Professor Arda explains that staff are managing well, but he fears it may not last. They've got water, <laughs> they've got friends, they've got sort of collegiality and they've actually got something to do to distract them, which is quite therapeutic. It's some very important work. But it's more the, more the situation out there which is getting people down, as you might imagine, you know, what's happened to their families, their homes, 
and people, I think, uh, as they sort of come down from the level of of, uh, of you know sort of work and, and effort, um, and realise their their world is quite significantly changed. We are starting to see, and we expect to see more of people perhaps less able to do the work, and therefore need a need a more significant break. Christchurch Hospital relies on a sizeable influx every year of British junior doctors who come for a year or two, either to enrich their training or at the end of it. There are about 60 here now living in Sumner, and I asked one, Claire McCormott, whether the quake will put others off coming in future. We're only here to the end of May. That's always been our plan and our contract staff. I know other people who who are leaving earlier because of it. And my my reaction initially was like, I just want to leave. And I think a lot of people felt the same. But as things settle down and, and the amazing, you know, water's power's back in most places, water's on its way back. So I think as things settle down, then people will sort of realise it's all right to stay. So there's sinkholes where trucks... Out east at the East Care Medical Centre in Hardhit Aranui, a week after the quake, family doctors Philip Frost and Jean Heron and practice nurse Jeanette Banks are worried about the many locals who've left town. It's a ghost town. People are leaving via the dozens. And do you know where your patients have gone? Well, people are ringing from all over the country asking for prescriptions to be faxed to pharmacies at various addresses and we've had to have a, a portable internet connection. Now families um, are going to Australia. Yeah, families are going to Australia. Really we've had phone calls today back. from Australia, from Auckland, from Nelson, people wanting prescriptions yes. and help. Dr Frost has water, sewerage and power courtesy of a generator, but few patients and those he has are confused. So they've lost the scripts, they've mislaid them, they're buried under the rubble. They often don't know what they're taking, it's half a problem because they say it's one red pill, one yeah. two blue pills and half a white one. Um, mm. So it's often confusion what they're taking. Yeah. A lot of patients are staying away because they don't want to bother us. Yes. Because they think you're obviously very important, busy people doing things, yeah. I don't want to bother with minor yes. stuff. Yes. And it's only now we're getting a trickle flow back. So we've actually been really quiet, that's the irony of it. Driving between the doctor's room and Breezes Road and the heart of Aranui, DHB Chief Executive David Mates is also struck by the sense of desertion. Well, these places are now the ghost town. Yeah, it's a ghost suburb. Our driver, Ron Wilkins, knows the area well. This brick one's just here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you see the front wall, oh, yes. yeah, yeah. that's bucket. And I know what the street's like. That's my daughter's one. Oh, she's in that one. See oh, the, yeah, yeah. See how the, wind, the top yes, half the yes. house? separating and sliding down from the bottom half. But she's can uh, live there. They, we've made that one waterproof and it's cleaned up inside, they can live there. But the, those cracks there, what's going to be the future of that front wall or is it too early to say? The whole house is like right the way around. Right down. <laughs> It'll probably be bulldozed. Norwest gales are doing their best to cover everything with a pale layer of silt from the liquefaction, but it's doing little to deter helpers of the student army. Tony, Tony Kelvin Campbell, how are you? Thanks for what you're doing. No worries, we're just heading out to distribute more food. So you've been at this all day, every day? Um, yeah, so um, every day since the earthquake we started making sandwiches for the student army um, and then we heard that there wasn't much happening out here so as soon as our student army ones are finished we keep making sandwiches and we're rounding up baking. We've got baking here down from Wellington and all over the country. And So where are you doing all this? Um, the UCSA building at, at university. So we've just come out now with this and we have this as our main drop-off point and then we're out in the four-wheel drive knocking on doors. Kelvin's working with Michelle Collins. So at 8am every morning we get a team of 15 to 20 people and start a production line and 
We make a whole bunch of sandwiches and make some packed lunches with some chips and muesli bars and um, we get a whole lot of homemade baking as well and some fruit and um, we've got some guys driving around with water that doesn't need to be boiled either so um, a lot of people here can't get to the water tanks and if they can they can't boil the water so um, fresh water is, is a priority as well. Cowles Stadium is the location of an Australian field hospital sent to assist in Christchurch. It's been providing surgical care and is headed by Brisbane surgeon Mark Little. This is tragic. Um, for me, the difference here is this is a major city. Uh, this is the second largest city in this country and this is devastating, uh, absolutely devastating. And the problems you have been confronted with here are the problems that we see in many of these developing countries. Um, this is a mess. You know, Christ, I, I have family that live in all the way down the South Island and so I'm in Christchurch regularly and this, this city's wrecked. Dr Little says the main challenges will come from diarrhoea and mental health. Now the GPs and the boards are working on strategies at the moment and I think psychological health yeah. is going to be a huge issue and I personally think you probably need to have a national strategy. The reason being that many people from Christchurch have moved out and are all over New Zealand and I think that um, over the next four to six weeks, you know, in some respects you're lucky you had the earthquake six months ago because you know what's going to happen, um, but it's going to be far worse. Dr Little says psychological issues are key. Because we heard a lot of people turn up, who might turn up with sore ankles and sore knees, and then we say to them, how's your house dissolving in tears? Yeah. I asked one woman getting a wound dressed in the tent how she's managing without power, water or a phone. Day by day. Yeah, day by day. Everyone else. Yeah. Yes. So it's a great yeah. spirit though, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it has to be. You've got to back yeah. each other up because yeah. if you start thinking, yes, it's just so tired, you know, overcomes you otherwise. Yes. At Santa Maria Rest Home in Beckenham, residents would appreciate a shower, but otherwise appear unfazed about the fact they lack reliable running water and sewerage. Do you feel the aftershocks? Do you feel them? Oh yes, I felt every aftershock there was, and I felt some that were coming. Is it frightening? Well, it is frightening, but you get adjusted, and you don't you just take them as they come. I was never frightened, I just said, well, that's it, you know. Yes, we're making the best of it here, and they're wonderful, and they do everything to help us. The situation of the elderly in Christchurch in the wake of the quake was serious, but overshadowed by other events. Seven rest homes were so badly damaged they had to be evacuated, two were partially evacuated, and a further ten have serious infrastructure problems. It's meant 600 rest home beds have been lost and that more than 500 elderly people have had to be moved. Trying to locate where the residents have gone and moved from the different rest homes that are closed down in Christchurch. DHB staff at Princess Margaret Hospital are busy fielding calls and tracking the elderly in the first week. About half have now gone elsewhere in Christchurch or Canterbury, 52 to Dunedin, 50 to Nelson, 45 to Auckland, 4 to Hamilton and 21 to Wellington. But it remains a sore point with families who had little, if any, warning of the move. 104-year-old Flo Ritchie went from Kate Shepherd to Auckland with a niece who was also in the rest home. Mrs Ritchie died just over a week later, and that's upset her daughter Lois and other family members. Why send my mother at 104 in a Hercules, which is a cargo plane, noisy, rattly thing, and she's not used to flying. And that's it, they sent her up there. We wouldn't have found out, except that our carer for my 
niece rang my nephew to say that she was going up to Auckland and Russell didn't know that mum was on the same plane. Um, it was only when he brushed aside a curtain or blanket that he said, that's my grandmother. We feel as though somebody's got a lot to answer for. OK, it was an emergency, but they could have been more thoughtful, surely to goodness. Stella Ward is the DHB person in charge of efforts to look after vulnerable people in the wake of the quake. We had frightened staff, frightened elderly people and structurally unsafe buildings. So speed and urgency of safety was our driver. Could we have done things better? Quite possibly. But the staff worked very hard to do things as safely as possibly, as planned as possible. But then when you make a decision to move, you have to move. And that also meant that things happened in darkness and not necessarily as smoothly. Stella Ward says planners did not envisage a situation with so many facilities badly damaged. She says communication with families was also fraught after the quake. Our server was down with all of the really important information for 48 hours, so finding accurate information about the sector was challenging. We luckily had old copies of the September the 4th list of cell phone contacts that we were able to use. But again, cell phones were fragile power was fragile, so communication was tricky. There was a different story emerging by the hour. Stella Ward says it'll be months before most of the elderly are able to return. She wants families to know their loved ones are being well looked after in the new locations. I still think we did the right thing. We moved people to safety, given the complex situation that we were in, and we did the very best we could. We made some mistakes and we're very, very sorry. Another potential catastrophe, an outbreak of gastroenteritis, appears to have been avoided so far. I asked the Chief Medical Officer at the DHB, Nigel Miller, if they're now out of the danger zone. If I'm allowed to cross my fingers, I'll say yes so far. But that's the best I can say, because the wastewater system, sewage systems in Christchurch are still substantially compromised. And we know that good wastewater systems are really, really important particularly in Christchurch, because it's, a, it's flat and low-lying. It's a long history of drainage problems. In fact, in the 1870s, I think, it was one of the places in the country that had the highest instance of, of waterborne diseases, which resulted in the formation of the former Christchurch Drainage Board, which developed our current systems, and now they're, they're quite badly damaged. Dr Miller emphasises people will need to continue being scrupulous about hand hygiene. Back out in Aranui on the damaged eastern side of Christchurch, the silt's no longer such a problem, and although locals say the roads are munted, at least the tar seal and the potholes are visible. Family doctor Philip Frost has already laid off what he says was an excellent doctor because of the drop-off in patients, but he says things have picked up mainly because of earthquake funding assistance. There's this peak of activity which may often not reflect the, the ultimate um, traffic we're going to have in months to come because there's been profound depopulation in the area. There's a population who are quite mobile. They're not employed. They're on benefits. Their homes are no longer habitable. Um, there's not much to keep them in this community. And we are having a, a large population moving out to other areas outside of Christchurch or indeed the North Island and are unlikely to come back. Dr Frost is not pessimistic, but he isn't looking forward to winter. It's going to be the, the stress, the depressions, the emotional meltdowns families are now just starting to feel 
And the sort of tension is going to fall away soon from as people leave Christchurch. And then it's going to be this really lonely winter with poor facilities, no money coming in, a bleak outlook, and we're going to get a wave. What's a tsunami of grief coming through our doors? Practice nurse Jeanette Banks believes vaccination levels will be a casualty. We're going to be sending out letters, sending texts, and not knowing whether families are there or not. And a lot of the families that live in this area will not think to divert their mail. And the reason they won't do that is because it costs to divert your mail. So they won't get their mail. Back at Christchurch Hospital, surgeon Greg Robertson says thought is turning now to how to resume normal hospital services. He says while the hospital's structurally sound, questions continue to surround its ability to manage a growing workload in the midst of ongoing sewerage and power problems. Mr Robertson says it's certainly not business as usual there yet. The surgery we have to do, uh, I guess, um, is uh, in part being sent out of Christchurch to be dealt with. In part, it's difficult to send some people out of Christchurch, so their service has been uh, performed in Christchurch uh, as we're able and have the facilities to do so. But we, we have hospital staff who have no homes, uh, nurses, doctors, all the people that uh, support those people in doing their jobs and uh, you know that has a, a lead-on effect to what we might be able to perform. So technically we can probably do more but the issues are other supports around the town for that. We can't send people to rest homes, we've got no rest homes to send them to, a number of different issues. The hospital's lost four wards, more than 100 beds, because of the decision not to use the top floors of the Riverside Block any longer for acute patients. Mr Robertson is optimistic about the longer term, but says the short term will be tough. We would see the winter months as being a major issue in terms of surgical service provision uh, this year, and I guess the changes that we can make with simple patient flow things are, are already been done, uh, have been done, and it's the bedstock and all the other bits that go with how we provide a service that is going to take some time to evolve, and I would have thought that's going to be you know, the end of the year at the earliest. The acting head of the emergency department, Mike Arda, says the hospital significantly compromised. The loss of four wards, so 120 beds, is a significant blow for a busy acute hospital. In wintertime, uh, under normal circumstances, we're chock-a-block and we struggle to keep the flow going through the hospital. We do it quite well, but it's a struggle. And with 120 beds less, winter uh, doesn't bode well at the moment, so we're worried about that. Surgeon Greg Robertson worries Christchurch may fade from people's memories. And that's part of our fear is that everyone will forget that there has been a major event uh, in Christchurch and we're very glad of the support that's offered. But people's, if you're not living in it, you don't understand what's actually going on in the town. And, uh, you know, it's been devastated by this event. And uh, part of our intention has been to try and not put too much pressure on uh, people and systems because, you know, we do appreciate people are under a degree of stress much more so than what they would ordinarily be. The DHB chief... David Mates, says the health system in Canterbury is delicately poised. We're now dealing with the reality of a very, very fragile health system, of how it continues to meet the needs of its community. And whether it be primary care, whether it be aged care, whether it be the hospitals, all of them 
are sitting very much on a knife edge. And this is going to be a, yeah, very much a long, long journey for this community. David Mates estimates the number of lost beds at 103 and says they'll have to re-evaluate how they do things. The DHB is considering recommissioning old bed spaces in Princess Margaret Hospital in Kashmir and at Burwood and Ashburton Hospitals. It may also fund free flu vaccinations for the entire population to guard against hospital overcrowding in winter. It's not business as usual and it's not going to be business as usual for a long, long time. So what services can Canterbrians expect to get in hospital in coming months? David Mate sets out what is possible and what is not. All the you know, kind of the major really urgent cases, we'll be continuing to provide that in most instances. Where we can't, we will be referring on to other tertiary centres around the country. Where we're going to have probably more challenges with is, is some of the general medical type of conditions, the respiratory, the kind of heart attacks that we're seeing quite an upsurge with. And some of the less urgent surgery, a lot of the elective cases, we're probably going to need to be a lot more discriminatory about what type of cases, what type of care is actually provided. The Health Minister, Tony Ryle, says he's worried about the loss of a large slice of beds in Christchurch. He says a lot of decisions are yet to be made, but there's no doubt about the mounting cost. We've got the costs of responding to the crisis, we've got the costs of getting people back to Canterbury, we've got the costs of the uh, equipment, we've got the costs of the capital, the, the buildings in the future. Now all of these costs are adding up and there's no way that Canterbury can be expected to carry those costs and nor can the rest of the health service expect to be immune from the costs that are going to come from this quake. Medical specialists say planning for a new hospital that would have happened in four or five years is likely to be brought forward as decisions have to be made about repairs and reconstruction. Officials in Wellington are weighing the implications of it all for the upcoming government budget. Mr Rao says it's not clear yet what the quake will cost health, but the whole health system will pay. The main thing here is to just look after the people of Christchurch and we'll worry about this money stuff later on. But work is underway to make sure we can quantify what that is so that we ensure that Canterbury is not left high and dry by this and that the rest of the health service plays its part. Mr Ra says it's the biggest challenge the country's public health service has ever faced. But he's impressed by the stoicism of all those involved. You know, you go around and you say to people, how, how are you feeling? And they all say, oh, I'm OK. But their house is red-stickered, their dream home has collapsed, the kids have been sent away from, from Christchurch. So they're not really OK, but they're determined to help and, and to play their part in the recovery. And I thought that was just fantastic. Lessons are sure to be learnt from the events of February the 22nd. The implications will be severe, but many also regard this as an opportunity to alter and improve services. Restoring full health services to Christchurch is a task that will require all the effort and optimism everyone can muster in the months ahead. That Radio New Zealand Insight was written and presented by health correspondent Karen Brown. It was produced by Philippa Tolley with technical production by Jeremy Veal.